0: 90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science.
1: Hey, Shannon, how are you?
0: Awesome. Just got back from the field, and that's always super fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, we didn't have a, a recording last Friday because you ended up in a pretty remote area. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just couldn't make it. Couldn't make it work.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, I finally did get cell service, but I was on the top of the mountain with about a hundred pounds of PMAG samples in my bag, so no room for the microphone. Sorry.
1: <laughs> yes, but uh, but we are back, and now that you've got all those PMAG samples, I'm sure you're going to have. Uh... <laughs> Quite a few <laughs> late nights in the lab that we can record with the, the soothing hum of the magnetometer.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, will put everybody to sleep like it does me. So, um, yeah, but we could, we'll talk more about that later because we still have to talk about all your travels too, right? Are you actually in this country in your house right now?
1: I am in my house at this moment.
0: Do you even know which one's yours? Do you accidentally walk into like the wrong one?
1: no no i i still can remember which house is ours
0: okay just making sure i guess your puppy dog probably lets you uh, meet you at the door right
1: yeah well and you know if there are children i know it's not my house
0: <laughs> turn around immediately yep yep i hear you yeah so well that's great
1: uh, but no, I was in Boston last week.
0: And shockingly, the weather was wonderful, wasn't it?
1: It was better than it was here.
0: <laughs> Man, that's so weird. I thought for sure that this meeting was just going to be the worst idea ever, but it turned out pretty good. Uh, they got lucky. <laughs> They're not lucky, John. They're meteorologists. They knew it was going to be fine.
1: Also known as lucky
0: <laughs> so true, <laughs> but of course, what we're talking about is the hundredth anniversary meeting of the American Meteorological Society.
1: Yes, and they made a huge deal out of it being the hundredth anniversary.
0: Yeah, I imagine. I remember GSA's hundred and twenty-fifth anniversary, but that was still several years ago. Now, um, it was a yeah, it was a big shindig.
1: They had uh, supposedly at their dinner. They had, like, food from the different decades of 100 years of AMS. Served. What? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> what does that even mean?
1: <laughs> you know, I joked I think it means they kept the same rubber chicken entree
0: <laughs> <laughs> from the last 30 years. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, okay, that's real strange. Um,
1: okay. But, no, they, they had that, and they had a bunch of... Uh, Historical sections and history of this history of that it was right down the street well, it was a little ways down from the uh the a m s headquarters, which are in boston
0: mm-hmm. yep
1: uh yeah, so it was it was a good meeting, it was very large, and you know I'm afraid this is probably the times that we're heading towards, but even for a meeting that it's not a g u proportions but it was still over five thousand people wow um. Even for a meeting with that many people and knowing as much inconvenience as it would cause, uh, it was like an airport. You had to take all the metal stuff out of your bags, go through metal detectors, and your bags were searched, getting in every time. Every
0: day? Oh, man.
1: Well, no, not just every day, every time. You go out for lunch, you go through it again, coming back.
0: Wow. Hmm. That's crazy. I don't think I've ever been to, uh... actually, I don't think I've ever been to Boston. No. Mm Mm-mm.
1: So. and i've been to boston before and it, it was nice uh i was just and and i think ams also they seemed somewhat surprised at the level of security that the conference center was providing or insisting well, upon
0: better safe than sorry i guess
1: yeah um did it get but no boston up? like did oh to, like
0: did, did it get backed up did you have to like wait on the sidewalk to get in
1: uh, I don't know if it ever got backed up very far outside. The main entrance, they had like 12 lanes. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. I always came across a bridge entrance from the hotel that only had two lanes, but there weren't very many people coming through it. But I yeah, I mean, it. occasionally you would be eight or 10 people deep.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's good, though. Um, that's nice that it was so well attended. I know. I think it, I don't know if attendance has been down, but it's always been sort of a smaller conference. So that's cool.
1: Yeah. And the, uh, the, the attendance was up. The short courses were way up. Uh, they had more short courses than ever before, more short course attendees than ever before. Wow. Yeah, it's it's really becoming quite a meeting.
0: That's awesome. I mean, you were there to teach, right? Or were you just there for drumming up business?
1: Uh, I went. I was there with the purpose of teaching. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. So
1: we had a, a short course on uh, MetPi. Mm-hmm. So I went there and did that with Unidata. Um, MetPy has recently had this thing. We call it the declarative plotting interface. Okay. It's a simplified plotting syntax that it's not as versatile as the full-on syntax, but it has a much easier learning curve. And if you know Jimpack, it has a very easy learning curve.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's what I was hoping you were going with that.
1: (laughs) yeah so our, our target with this this syntax was to get people off of gympack and then as they learn more python they'll grow into some of the, the the more advanced ways to do things but i like it even just because you can still access use the declarative to make your basic plot and then go do your advanced stuff it's just a lot fewer lines of code to write
0: <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> see good old Jimpack.
1: But we refuse to do some of the Jimpack-y things, and we don't have, you know, GPN and all that other crazy stuff.
0: Fine. (laughs) I love it. But Jimpack,
1: if you're not familiar, is a really quite old uh, meteorological data plotting command line tool that some people are hanging on to for dear life.
0: I mean, really old. Like, what, 30 years? 25 years old?
1: Mm, It's at least 30 because it came from yeah. Incar graphics, so I think it's probably older than 30.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and you guys are finally like, fine here. <laughs> have this: have
1: Well, this. we uh there are some compromises, but a lot of it is it's Jimpack like it's not Jimpack.
0: right, yeah, that's true.
1: But we did some things like keep Pack had, you know, you could define a region, like, say, I want to see US or any state like MA or AR. Uh-huh. Um, they had thousands of regions uh, all around the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, we ported all those over so you can use your favorite Pack region. <laughs> and the map focuses on that region. And th- there are some things like that to make the transition a little easier.
0: That's cool. That's super funny. <laughs> I mean, eventually these people are going to age out, right? <laughs>
1: One would think, but I met an undergrad last year that was diehard Jim pack. Oh, no. Yeah.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: To which my reply was, well, okay, but it's end of life and good luck. (laughs) Oh,
0: that's funny. Hmm, Interesting. Did you um, get to do anything outside of teaching?
1: Yes. Uh,
0: (laughs) Excellent. So-
1: (laughs) You know, I stayed for an extra uh, little bit on the end after teaching, because the teaching was on Sunday, and so I wanted to go around the conference, see some people, uh, attend a couple talks, just see what all was going on, Mm -hmm. Uh, and also uh, met a friend, and we went and had dinner at Cheers.
0: Oh, nice. (laughs) I have a pint glass from there, from when my friend Val went there, and that's what she brought me back, so... Even though I've never been, I have a glass from there.
1: <laughs> I, I did not go for the $8 pint glass. Oh. <laughs> it's totally uh, worth it. They're definitely making the most of it. I mean, there's a, a gift shop in the hallway on your way to the bathroom.
0: <laughs> Every opportunity. I mean, did I? Did they put Cheers, like, on Netflix? They did or something, didn't they?
1: Yeah, it's on Netflix. I think I've been through the whole 10 seasons at least three times.
0: Oh. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> uh, do you find yourself watching them now as an adult and being like, oh, that's what that meant?
1: <laughs> uh, occasionally, yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Uh, I, I really enjoy that, that series. And, uh, you know, the bar in Boston, it's what inspired Cheers. The outside is the same, and they filmed that on location. But the inside of the bar is quite a bit different.
0: Mm, okay, gotcha.
1: Uh, they have a set bar upstairs that looks like the bar that was on Cheers, but mm-hmm. the actual bar, uh, I think it was called like Bull and Finch or something. Oh, okay. Uh, before the TV series. It, it looks, it's a lot smaller.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Well, that's cool. Uh, but, you know,
1: they definitely had like, they had the Burger and that kind yeah. of stuff. Oh,
0: Of course. Of course. Yeah. That's awesome. Excellent. And it was good. It,
1: it was just, uh, other than being a little pricey, uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a fantastic place to stop and a cool atmosphere. Uh, also went to the, the Boston Harbor, Boston Tea Party Museum. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's So cool. that was fun. Like I said, I haven't seen any of Boston, so hmm. I feel very, uh, very like I'm missing an important part of American history by not getting out there, but I'll make it I, I would like to go
1: and see more of the history, but
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: didn't really have time. Gotcha. So, yeah, I thought it would be fun to talk about some of the talks and posters and things that I saw, and I found s- several potential guests that we're going to have on the show as well.
0: Oh, nice. <laughs> that's cool. Man, I haven't, I haven't been to like meteorology stuff in a while because I haven't been to AGU, so I'm very excited to uh, hear what's going on new and, you know, or just interesting stuff that's happening. Especially with a big meeting like this. so
1: There are a lot of cool things happening. I would still classify the research environment of meteorology as highly competitive.
0: Oh, you could tell.
1: Yeah. Mm. Uh, but I thought I would start out with talking about one of the history sessions that I went to.
0: Okay. Assuming because this is the 100-year anniversary, right?
1: Right. So they had all these sections on, you know, the history of Thing X or the history of Field Y. Okay. And uh, I just went to one that was on general meteorology history. And Bob Howes gave a talk on the history of the weather symbols that we use on maps.
0: That's awesome. I have no idea about the origins of these, but I definitely have an umbrella with them all over it. So.
1: Yeah, and that's what he he showed. He's like, we sell these ties in the AMS store. Exactly. And these, uh, they've got ties, umbrellas, and uh, napkins, I think, or something like that.
0: Oh, nice. Okay.
1: (laughs) That have all the symbols. He's like, and a lot of young people coming into the field now have never used these.
0: That is funny. Ties or?
1: (laughs) No, No, well, that too.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) um that's crazy what do you mean never use them i still have my non-majors class have a weather symbol lab come on now
1: you know i i know that we do that but i really think unless you go into operations in the weather service you know if you're doing numerical modeling of something you're never going to use them
0: Uh, what about when you just want to sit down and draw your own observation map by hand
1: we're talking about modelers here, though.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they don't know what pencils are. All right. So what's the what was cool about it?
1: Well, like so many things in history of science, uh, it started out as two competing old white dudes.
0: <laughs> okay, so yeah, the Bone Wars or anything else. Mm-hmm. When, yep. when was this? When did these even come into existence?
1: I don't remember. And this is a talk that I would like to, because he had a very compelling story and he had definitely done a lot more work than he had time for in a 12 minute talk.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, But basically there are these two guys that had competing names and symbologies.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, One eventually won out, obviously.
0: Yeah.
1: And they were very non-typographical characters, like the thunderstorm symbol. Which is kind of a, a flat-topped R with an arrow on the end of the leg of the R.
0: Right, without the, mm-hmm, yes.
1: Uh, and, you know, all these kind of funky symbols, like for Cirrus and all this, that aren't really looking like anything else that we have in the alphabet mm-hmm. or punctuation.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: but then it became more about using typographical like things. So maybe we could emulate them on teletypes (laughs) or so more people could draw them. (laughs) And so that's how we had things like one, two and three dot rain for light, (laughs) moderate and heavy.
0: Yeah. Everybody can do that.
1: Right. Uh, So, so they evolved to be more of these typographical symbols. Uh, And one thing I really appreciated was he said, you know, I used to have to hand plot these and Warren Byler, who convened the session uh, was also talking about like yeah you know for the weather service you would there would be somebody that's decoding the METARs and they would hand that stuff to somebody that's going to make the plot Mm -hmm. and that person plots it up and hands it to the analyst who then contours it who then hands it to the forecaster Wow! and that's a lot of steps and it all has to happen very fast or the forecaster is getting out of date information
0: right (laughs) Uh
1: So he said, you know, we had all these memorized and he said the rule was that you had to be able to take a dime and that dime had to totally cover the ob.
0: The entire ob.
1: Yeah. So you're drawing, you know, wind speed, the altimeter, uh, the temperature, the dew point, any observations and all that, all in this little tiny area, the size of a dime. And you have to do it fast because you got a couple hundred to do
0: that's unbelievable <laughs> that's awesome yeah. oh that's that's super cool i guess i never thought about the speed of having to get that out
1: yeah because <laughs> all you had was a teletype spitting out me <laughs>
0: yeah no kidding oh man that's great uh blowing and- dust is my favorite so i hope they had to do that a lot <laughs>
1: oh yeah what's the blowing dust symbol
0: it's like it's a big s and then it's got an arrow uh piercing the s
1: Um, okay yeah yeah Mm -hmm.
0: but it's obviously not a big s it's a tiny s because it's got to fit in that right that little spot which also has you know if you haven't looked at one of these it's also got you know temperature and dew point and wind speed and direction and cloud cover too along with whatever weather observation is actually happening
1: and you know, one thing he didn't talk about, and I do want to know the history on this. I, I haven't dug too deeply yet. Why was cloud cover done in octets?
0: I, I, I know. <laughs> so, so in the center
1: of your station plot, where your wind barb goes, uh, there's a circle and you fill it in like a pie chart. And so fully shaded is completely overcast and empty is clear. And it's divided into octets. So you say how many eighths of the sky are covered?
0: I know. Oh, I love it. One eighth? Seven eighths. Like
1: I think I, I think if you had a panel of people, you would be hard pressed to show that you can actually tell the difference to more than quarters at best.
0: I would be very I would be very interested in that. I'm going to look that up to see if that, that has been done. I bet it's more accurate than you think. We'll see. Mm, we will see. Even if I have to <laughs> do this experiment myself.
1: <laughs> I Honestly, that would be a fun one is let's get, you know, a couple thousand sky pictures, calculate what the coverage is, and then have a bunch of people estimate it in octets.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I bet you would come to some serious consensus. Mm-hmm. In,
1: NSF, okay. if you're listening, we <laughs> want I, to do this.
0: Here I come. <laughs> oh that's awesome that's really cool yeah that i can imagine that 12 minutes was not enough to to talk about that that feels like that should have been you know an invited half an hour talk
1: yeah uh so that was really interesting and then in the same session and i unfortunately had to leave early because there was another talk that i had to run to um sim aberson talked about the history of the in-car dropwind sonde, that they drop into like hurricanes out of the aircraft.
0: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So I did not realize, you know, now we say, oh, yes, dropwind sonde. We get pressure, temperature, dew point, and the wind on the way down. Right. And that's how we know what the wind speed is at the surface to classify the hurricane. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, they get the wind by how far the dropwind sonde gets blown on its way down, and there's a lot of calibration that goes into that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: before GPS, it didn't really work so well.
0: Okay, that makes sense, yes. Uh,
1: to, pos- to position it, or well, before GPS got good, um, to position it, they had to use some other radio location systems that had the convenient feature of not working well in heavy precipitation.
0: <laughs> Which you never get in hurricanes.
1: <laughs> right, so all of the drop wind sounds before GPS became really good uh, that used this radio technique were dropped in the eye
0: wow really
1: so you got the pressure and they see them (laughs) i mean they experimented dropping some in the outer reaches but they never got a signal from anywhere close to the surface uh wow so we really didn't know anything other than the central pressure of the storm
0: that's hilarious and gps getting good wasn't that long ago
1: no it was during the clinton administration
0: exactly so wow that's awesome I had no idea. And
1: I didn't either. And so what they would do is they would, uh, they would fly really low. <laughs> and uh, they would drop some of these things out. And then uh, a person sitting in the plane had a book of what the sea would look like from that altitude at different wind speeds.
0: Oh, my gosh. And just had to visually, like, compare it.
1: Right, and then they would do a couple passes at different altitudes and all that, but yeah.
0: That's outrageous science. That's outrageous.
1: (laughs) I mean, that is the octet of hurricanes.
0: Yeah, that for sure. No, that's got to be way worse than figuring out what seven-eighths of a cloudy sky is. (laughs) Oh, embarrassing. Okay, that's terrible.
1: And so they got a lot better. And then he also said, and I thought this was an interesting little tribute. Uh, one of the folks that spent a lot of their career working on these things, uh, passed away several years ago and they were actually buried at sea in a drop wind sond <gasps> in a hurricane.
0: Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. I want to go that way. That's awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. How neat.
1: So Gosh. that, that was a pretty cool talk. Uh, I definitely learned a lot about a field of instrumentation that I have no experience with.
0: <laughs> that is, man, it's, it always blows my mind, like how young so much of our science is, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. When you say that, yeah, we we estimated the wind speed of hurricanes up until, you know, into the 90s yeah. by looking at a picture book.
0: <laughs> I love it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that looks like about seven-eighths whitecaps. <laughs> yep must be about 71 miles an hour oh gosh okay what else
1: (laughs) uh let's see so taurus taurus is the the latest severe weather field project a la vortex but smaller
0: oh (laughs) that makes sense
1: (laughs) uh it happened let's see they had a field season last season and they've got some this season Uh, They were lucky enough on their first field deployment of the season to catch a tornado.
0: Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Ridiculous. Uh,
1: There were some busts as well. Mm -hmm. Um, They collected, they actually did some really cool experiments when there was a dry spell uh, doing some clear air work for the purpose of clear air work.
0: That's nice, Uh, because there's a lot of downtime in these things sometimes. (laughs) Yes
1: and i i don't remember exactly how many people and uh vehicles it's on the order of 20 vehicles in the field okay so it's quite a bit and some of them are semi-mounted radars
0: what does a semi-mounted radar mean
1: a radar mounted on a semi-truck
0: oh semi-mounted <laughs> not partially mounted <laughs> not
1: not kind of mounted
0: great okay that makes more sense now
1: <laughs> yeah
0: all right cool <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so the you know <laughs> Doppler on wheels but it, it was not the the CSWR out of Boulder mm-hmm. Dows it was uh, some different ones and Texas Tech had their KA band radars out
0: Ooh, nice!
1: KA band radars are super cool
0: mm-hmm.
1: Uh so they're a higher frequency and you get a lot of very small range gate data So you can't penetrate very far into the storm before you lose signal, but you can get incredible detail.
0: So those probably want to be pretty close to the action then in order to gather anything worth gathering, huh?
1: It's true. And they have two of them. So in some scenarios, they were able to get dual Doppler.
0: Dual. Oh, yeah. Uh Nice. Uh, So you can
1: do things like driving 3D wind fields and... Lots of fun things.
0: That's intense.
1: Yes. One of the coolest things that they showed, and this is all very preliminary. uh, They also had a bunch of drones flying around. They had had like an aircraft carrier-style catapult mounted on the the roof rack of a trailblazer. (laughs) Yes,
0: because why not?
1: Yeah, and so they would drive this thing up and throw the drone on it and pull the lever, and it would shoot it up, and then they would fly around for like an hour.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh, that's awesome.
1: And, you know, Vortex 2, they had drones, but they couldn't fly the drones while they were moving. And there were a bunch, they could do all that here.
0: Oh, that is super cool.
1: Yeah. And so they, uh, he said there are some videos from the drones where, you know, the drone's trying to fly at a constant altitude and (laughs) it's flying almost nose straight down to try to combat the uptrack.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That is amazing.
1: It's pretty bad when you can't just shut off the engine because you would still go up.
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh. Oh, that's great. Man, how awesome that they... Yeah, I've been on so many of those sub-vortex missions where we would literally just drive to the edge of our area and we couldn't go any farther. And then there'd be storms like thirty miles away, and we'd all just be sitting there playing frisbee. Guess,
1: <laughs> yep,
0: wasn't anything else we could do.
1: And so, with the uh, the Ka radars, they actually showed some aloft vorticity channels.
0: Ooh,
1: and these are. There's a professor named Lee Orf. I had the pleasure of talking to at one of the receptions for a while who does these incredibly small-scale models. Mm -hmm. And they're amazing. I mean, generating tornadoes out of supercells in the model. Okay. And a lot of his work has shown these inflow vorticity bands that are crucial in the model to producing a tornado. And we didn't really know if they exist. Or if it's just what the model did to produce a tornado. And, you know, the KAs saw it.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, so that's really and cool. He was happy about that. They were happy about that. And now everybody's really excited about doing a lot more work on these vorticity streams.
0: I mean, I will say I'm not very happy about it because, you know, just means that models can be correct.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, his talk, I think there was one that was like – um was something about a stupid high-resolution model, and basically he, on one run, really cranked the resolution way down, and I want to say it was on the order of... is either a 10... I think it normally ran at 30-meter bends, and this one ran at 10 or something like that. Wow. And there wasn't a lot of difference. Like basically, 30 to 50 meters is kind of good enough.
0: Yeah. Okay. But to say that you can do that's crazy (laughs) yeah exactly that's nuts Uh, yeah in this 30 feet of this massive supercell this is what's happening exactly wow
1: well also kind of gives you the like the size on where that inflection point is of where it starts making a difference to me that's what a parcel is
0: oh uh-huh okay yeah like yeah. once
1: you get bigger than this it's not all behaving the same but but if you're smaller than that it all behaves the same so i'd call it a parcel. Yep,
0: yeah, that's exactly right. Mm.
1: So, you know, if, if you want to know a parcel's 30 or 50 meters across.
0: There you go. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> huh, interesting. Man, that's yeah. super, that's super cool.
1: And th- there's lots of other talks on that. I will say all these talks are online. So you can go to the AMS twenty twenty website, find the talk, and play the video for free. Oh, uh, nice. they're not quite cool enough to be on YouTube. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, I actually think it's for archival reasons that AMS is doing that, and that's probably a smart move.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha.
1: But so they uh, so they're not as easily discoverable. I'll put it that way. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and let's see. So that that was sort of the. The Taurus, they did a lot of surface observations. Uh, you know, mobile mesonet type things. Uh, they had some infrasound out there. All the radars. As always with these field projects, there are a lot of stories of all the crazy stuff that broke and the ways they had to to get around it.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Which we're familiar with, so, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, one of my favorites was uh, a talk that was... About this project, kept crashing the computer, uh, like the whole presentation <laughs> room computer. It would just take it down, and you know they were joking about, like, "Man, we we thought we were done with this, but
0: <laughs> that's funny." <laughs> when
1: they finally did get the talk working, everybody applauded.
0: Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny.
1: Uh, let's see. So uh, talked to. A professor about some snow level and temperature sensors that he's working with on Mount Washington. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I don't want to go into too much detail on that because I want him to tell us the rest of it because it's really cool.
0: Fantastic. Anything about Mount Washington <laughs> is super cool, so that's very exciting.
1: <laughs> right, and so he's a, a Mount Washington-Plymouth joint, joint faculty. Awesome. And uh, this is some really cool work, and it's all done with low cost sensors that, you know, you could mostly go on places like spark or Adafruit and buy a lot of the components for.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's, he's doing some sort of low cost semi disposable instrumentation to, to get at things that we've wanted to know, but haven't been able to get, get the data on.
0: Hmm. Okay. That's
1: interesting. Uh, So that that was pretty cool. And uh, for, you know, I've seen before uh, a plot of a skew T or something like, hey, yeah, that, you know, that was definitely made with MetPi. And that was always pretty gratifying. Yes. Uh, But I definitely got to see data from an instrument that I built from scratch for a (gasps) PI used in their talk.
0: (gasps) Did you cry a little bit?
1: It was exciting. (laughs) Nobody Uh, else appreciated the data points quite as much. (laughs)
0: oh that's super awesome
1: (laughs) and you got to see some really cool things too that I did not ever dream it would have been able to resolve no kidding (laughs) yeah and they had a few of these deployed simultaneously so it wasn't just a fluke like oh yeah you know that one you could convince yourself no they were all three highly correlated to each other and saw some remarkably small changes
0: that is super cool hmm always nice to see your children out there in the world being successful huh
1: yeah i was a little nervous too because i didn't know if they're gonna say well and we tried this and we couldn't resolve anything or it didn't work or the instruments broke yeah Yeah, i i I did not know how this talk was going to go walking into the room
0: (laughs) exactly like should i sit in the back or the front (laughs) right
1: Uh, but it was a blast and we got to hang out afterwards some and chat about ways to do things uh, on future work and Learn a little bit more about how it actually went.
0: Ah, that's super cool. Okay, great. And
1: let's see. I went down to the vendor area for a while.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, I got to sit down and chat with uh, the president of RM Young.
0: That's awesome.
1: (laughs) Which was pretty cool. So RM Young makes uh, mostly wind speed measurement equipment.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, The canonical anemometers. RRM Young.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And yep. uh, it was pretty interesting to learn about th- some about their company. And, you know, they're sort of like me in that they, they vertically integrated a lot. Like, he goes, well, we, we mold our own plastic parts. We machine our own parts. We well, design how? our own circuit boards. Like they do it all in house.
0: And always have, I'm guessing. Yeah that's impressive
1: Uh, and all with a relatively small staff. So it it was really interesting to talk with him and just look at some of the new instruments that they've got, uh, looking at doing a project that would involve some sonics. Okay. Uh, So sonic anemometers with no moving parts and got to learn some about their new instruments that they've got and what they, what they hold up to and what's important for this project is weight, uh, So it's been, uh, mm -hmm. it it was a fun discussion and he was very open. I just walked up and started talking to him and noticed who he was and.
0: And then like fangirled uh, out a little bit.
1: (laughs) Right. And you know, when I said, well, I need to know the weight of this, he didn't say, well, it's in the data sheet or whatever. Uh, he said, I'm not sure, but I would guess about this. And then after AMS was over, sent me an email and said, I just walked out and put one on the scale and it weighed this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, this is this is somebody uh, that's yeah. heavily involved with the company.
0: That's super cool. Oh, that's super And definitely cool. and
1: definitely gets all the nerds.
0: I mean, how old a guy is he?
1: Um senior management age. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be vague. Uh Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I didn't know how not... long RM Young had been around as a company.
1: I would say he's definitely not the founder.
0: Okay, all right.
1: Uh, as his initials were not R.M.
0: Yes, <laughs> that's still super cool, though. I am wow. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't be able to like stop smiling probably.
1: Well, you would have to just be like, well, you know, I definitely ha- have seen your instruments get knocked off the top of mobile mesonets by McDonald's drive-throughs.
0: Uh, yeah. Or Sonic drive throughs I've seen that one. Yep. <laughs> uh, yep.
1: Ouch. Uh, the one thing that I am getting a little bit tired of seeing mm-hmm. is the all-in-one weather station instrument companies.
0: <laughs> you know, you, you
1: put this one thing on a stick and it tells you everything as precisely as you would want to know it for $300. <laughs> on a and stick. takes no power. <laughs> on a stick. Yeah. Yeah. There's already a lot of them. We can all agree that they're okay for everything, but excellent at nothing.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: And I just don't see who it's getting marketed towards, really. If you're doing research, you need more calibration, more. And and if you're a prosumer, even if you're a prosumer, you're going to be buying something like a Davis and probably not in this price range.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, hmm that's interesting so yeah i don't i mean was there a lot of like the public there like i would imagine that those would be popular you know
1: no there wasn't really
0: yeah that's weird that's a good point Hmm.
1: so i i don't know i've just like i'm getting a little tired of seeing those and it's not like it's never been tried before. And every year you see a different company, you know, one company goes away and another company comes up doing basically the exact same thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, but there, there were some cool new companies there as well that were doing, uh, novel things with different types of instruments. I saw a new type of rainfall instrument that, uh, it was pretty interesting. I don't think it's field practical necessarily, Mm -hmm. but, I liked seeing a company doing something totally different.
0: Hmm. And?
1: Well, no, just, I liked that. Like not, oh, yeah. it's not yet another company making a tipping bucket rain gauge. I gotcha. I gotcha. Mm-hmm. It's not yet another company making another all in one. It's a company yeah, doing something true. that isn't out there right now.
0: That's true. That's cool.
1: Yeah. And there are, as always, you know, various levels of engagement from different vendors. <laughs> uh so some are there because they love it and some are there because you know it's their 3 hour shift to sit at the booth.
0: Yeah, exactly. I was going to say the uh here's some pamphlets on a table, but that's all. Right. <laughs> yep. We were discussing um, that whether it was um better to have a booth manned with someone that's angry to be there than to have no booth at all.
1: I think and... it could be more damaging
0: I think it could be too. I think an empty booth is more damaging as well. Oh yeah, then not having one at all. So definitely. that is interesting to hear my, yeah, that was my opinion, so i'm gonna I'm gonna pass that along now. yeah <laughs> yes, engaged informed person or nothing at all. yep
1: and uh I also made some uh some swag for one of the booths. they contracted me to do some of their swag, so oh, that was sweet. fun.
0: Like 3D printing stuff?
1: Uh, no, or these were 3D? some customized tail rulers.
0: Ah, okay. Nice. Nice. And so it was, it was
1: fun to see people walking around with those too.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. You're like, I did that.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, I, there were some of mine floating around still, but. I, I gave a ton of them out at AMS last year and this year I saw a lot of the same people, so I wasn't giving out my hail rulers, but everybody's always interested in a different you know, different color with a different logo and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah,
0: that's true. That is true. Oh yeah, you can do lots of different colors now, huh?
1: I can do a few. I mean most they're made out of printed circuit boards, so most printed circuit boards are kind of five colors of silkscreen and solder mask.
0: I'm just saying I need a purple hail ruler. Okay. Carry on.
1: P- purple is one of them. We could Great. do that.
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I think you jinxed me. We haven't had, I think we've only had like one hailstorm since I got this hail. Ruler, so. <laughs> <laughs> How am I supposed to get a new roof? Lehman. <laughs> okay.
1: Trying. <laughs> Trying.
0: Tryin'. Uh, that's awesome. Um, was the vendor area bigger than normal?
1: No. Uh, I thought this, and then somebody else said it as well. I think there are actually fewer vendors.
0: Wow. Hmm.
1: It may have been an illusion of the room, because I didn't hear any official numbers, um, but it felt smaller.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah, so I'm not sure exactly what that was about, but uh, AMS may say, oh, no, from our numbers, it it was more than ever before, and okay fine but it yeah. it felt smaller because of the room the, this conference center was huge i mean there was an auto convention going on at the same time and so you know there was a, a divider in the poster hall that was separating the ams posters from <laughs> the new cars sitting on the other side in the booths for like chevy and ford
0: <gasps> that's hilarious <laughs> okay interesting was it loud Could you tell
1: uh me? not really uh okay it was an interesting contrast between the groups of people, though.
0: Oh, I imagine. <laughs> that's pretty funny.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we already mentioned that we did the short course, but uh, Python is really becoming a thing. That's, that's what I learned is there were so many sessions or people talking about Python or people wanting to know about Python. Uh, <laughs> it's really taken over in that community.
0: Uh, I had this conversation um, in the middle of the desert, actually, this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We had, we can talk more about this, but anyway, there were drones present, and they were talking about, I started talking a lot about, you know, how can I incorporate the drone that our department has, that no one knows how to use, you know, into actual teaching, not just for funsies or research collecting. And that's what one of the guys said. He just basically wrote the Rhodes drone and Python all over his class advertisement and it filled up like instantly. So yep. <laughs> it was pretty funny, but he was like, Oh yeah, that's, it's a, he said it's huge now. So. If you had
1: machine learning into it.
0: Oh, it's like the, uh, the Holy Trinity, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I saw, uh, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. And, in Jack Gansel's newsletter this last week yeah here it is Um, somebody had sent him this joke changing random stuff until your program works is hacky and bad coding practice but if you do it fast enough it's machine learning and pays four times your current salary
0: (laughs) that's hilarious that's pretty good (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) yep that's good (laughs) funny
1: uh yeah so no that was really most of the the cool things that i remember seeing at ams um trying to think if there's any anything else but i i am intrigued can, can you give us a teaser of uh some of what we're going to talk about from your your desert trip
0: um a teaser i mean everything's brown in the desert <laughs> That's that's pretty much it. Um, I mean, it was just an interesting group of people. Um, we had students out there, like high school students. So that was very interesting, too, um, because I was the only professor. Everyone else was, like, you know, professional researchers. So it's always interesting to see that dynamic going on. Um, but we... Taught the kids a lot of science, and it was interesting to see what they picked up on, I think. Um, one of the main interesting things for me to watch was that the students had to do a, basically a documentary, and they had to produce it themselves. And so that was, there was a lot that went along with that that I didn't even know about, so that was really cool.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. so you'll you'll like that and like i said the drone the drone was super awesome drones there were two of them
1: Mm -hmm. nice
0: yeah i will i refrained from moaning them several times but it was hard (laughs) 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 we got our lives threatened if we looked at the drone (laughs) so (laughs) It's really hard to be on the side of a mountain where literally one step and you will fall down and die, well, you wouldn't die, but you'd fall quite a ways, and its you've got this like angry bee sound <laughs> just hovering around your head,
1: <laughs> so were these like the the quad rotor hovering drones, or were they the fixed wing airplane like
0: no, 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 they were the quad rotor guys the the d j you know phantom varieties. Oh, okay so, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty funny, it was oh cool. Yeah, so it was neat. We tried to try to tie a slice of pizza on it and take it halfway up the, the hill, but we decided that was a bad, bad practice. <laughs> <breakfast. laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a good time.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think we'll definitely hear some more about that. But uh, you know, talking about eating food when you're out in the field, I think is a great segue to this week's <laughs> fun paper Friday. <laughs>
0: Oh, that was classic. Um, and with that, oh, and
1: I, I also have to just say before we get to the title, <laughs> I, I I feel so bad. Uh, listener Tim, who you know Tim of cowbell making fame, had made a video and he sent it uh, on my on my Twitter messenger a while back, and I saw it and forgot to respond and forgot to link it out. It is a video of him making our cowbells. Like he put together. Oh. Awesome. Uh, some video of it, and it had clips of us complaining about not having travel cowbells <laughs> in the background <laughs> And it was really awesome uh, so I just want uh, to say thanks again And there are several people where I didn't totally realize that You could request to message someone on Twitter if you weren't if I wasn't following you and oh, went to a totally different inbox So sorry about huh. that folks
0: Oops <laughs> Wow, that's really interesting um, that, my cowbells are so therapeutic, I can't, I cannot thank Tim enough for them. Yes. But, So. speaking of therapy and, you know, eating food.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, Assessing the Caloric Significance of Episodes of Human Cannibalism in the Paleolithic. <laughs> By James Cole.
0: There it is if you've ever wondered how many calories you can gain by eating a person this paper's for you
1: it is and it will tell you by sections uh, uh-huh. such as torso and head upper arms forearms thighs calves lungs heart kidneys so teeth on. teeth <laughs> yeah
0: like what <laughs>
1: it's a whole 36 calories right there
0: oh i just don't understand how you could eat them <laughs> I would imagine Uh, (laughs) it's
1: something similar to the bone, but I don't know.
0: Really? Okay. So, not being anthropologist (laughs) at all, (laughs) uh, I didn't realize how big a topic cannibalism was. (laughs) Right? And I guess there is a... Would you
1: you say it's a a meaty literature?
0: (sighs) Oh... (laughs) (laughs) Uh I did find myself hungry for more after reading this. Um <laughs> so I guess there is a fight between whether cannibalism was ritualistic or was just truly nutritional in nature.
1: And they do some interesting math here based on this, <laughs> this uh nutritional balance that they come out with. And they're like, yeah, you would basically need to consume your population. To keep it alive because we're actually not super calorie dense and if you count how hard it would be to track down and kill another person versus something like a mammoth that doesn't know you're tracking it to kill it and eat it uh you probably don't really get a lot of caloric benefit
0: i feel like you just summed up the entire paper i feel like even though this is a a relatively short scientific report in nature i feel like that's all it kept saying was that yeah we don't really have that many calories you really have to eat like most everything to get the calories that you would need and why would you want to hunt something of our size for not calorie benefit because yeah because we're crafty and can kill you back and it's too hard essentially which is um yeah super weird
1: Right. And like with teeth, I think you have to do something like bone, like grind it up or something. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, you can get the marrow out. That's that's a delicacy. Right. Um, But he gets a whole bunch of one, two, three, uh, nine different documented sites of paleolithic cannibalism. So obviously this is, you know, something that we've all known before. But what I thought was really interesting was how can you tell (laughs) that it's that's you know these bones are being cannibalized like there's a set of criteria for this
1: yeah like is the base of the skull bashed out so they could eat your brain
0: yes (laughs) um yeah at the absence of vertebrae because you would have boiled them down to get all that bone marrow because i guess that's probably i mean an easy bone marrow thing to get at are the vertebrae because they're smaller I'm guessing, I thought, I had a lot of weird thoughts about this. Um, <laughs> the cut mark arrangements, right? Um, long bone breakage, meaning you're breaking the bones in half long ways so you can suck out the marrow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Similar butchering techniques on human remains as in faunal remains.
1: Right. And, you know, so you would mentioned that, like, was this ritualistic? Was this, well, why... And one uh, one possibility was like, well, when somebody died, what else are you going to do with them? Exactly.
0: Which led to a whole nother thing of like, oh, God, don't you get sick if that happens? Like, do you really want to eat the old people? I
1: yeah. Know. So... <laughs>
0: I, there was a lot of talk about how it's hard to tell cannibalism from just scraping skin off after death and eating them after death. Yeah, that was weird.
1: Yeah. Uh, And there were some pretty grisly details of, like I said, like splitting the bones and crushing bones and all this stuff to get marrow. Um, I, I just thought this was a very odd paper to read.
0: So I was like, oh, look what I found. This is awesome. Ha, ha, ha. And then like two pages in, I'm like, this is grotesque. And I immediately (laughs) regret it. (laughs) Yes. Because, yeah, they go into like, so at these different sites, they found different individuals, right? So not just adults, but some like infants and children. And so he breaks down the calories of all of that. And, oh, yeah, it's really weird. But it's really interesting when you take our whole body... Like, the whole body, it's a ton of calories, though. Just the fact is, you probably can't eat all those parts. But I had no idea.
1: Yeah, and I think, what was it? Uh, One one human to feed six for a day or something like that? Uh-huh,
0: yeah. 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 And that that was just like at a minimum calorie requirement. So, there, thus the eating your whole population if you're only surviving on that.
1: Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah it was it was strange uh (laughs) not something i think i would think of having been studied extensively
0: uh no but clearly it has
1: and they've also got a table in here which i found really interesting of (laughs) uh, the the average calorie per kilogram ratios of various Uh animals uh and us
0: yeah and uh
1: one of the highest ones is a boar And followed by beaver.
0: Uh Uh-huh. I also found that very interesting.
1: As well as bear. That that one didn't surprise me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, um... mm hmm There were some of these I had to look up.
1: Definitely. And, of (laughs) course, they picked some obscure ones for their, their comparison in the text.
0: Which, I mean, I guess they're just... They're those, that, that was, what, what is this thing? I can't ever pronounce it. The Sega, that weird looking antelope thing that's got like two noses.
1: <laughs> I thought Sega was a game console.
0: Ah, I'm saying it wrong, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like some weird snuffle up against like an antelope thing. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, there's... yeah, I think so.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm like, really? You just got to use these latin names to get me to look this stuff up
1: <laughs> but we do have uh our calorie per kilogram our calorie density is the exact same as that of a fish
0: <laughs> yep there you go <laughs> so weird
1: it, it was uh, this was a pretty interesting paper there are a lot of references in there if you're into reading about this kind of thing Oh, or learning how you can tell if the the bones that you found have been cannibalized or not.
0: <laughs> Dude, I looked at the references more in this paper than I have in any other paper, <laughs> and they yeah. just kept getting better, right? Like one of them is cannibalism in Iberian narrative: the dark side of gastronomy. <laughs> like, <really? laughs> like, are you kidding? These are great. <laughs> um, yeah so mm -hmm.
1: study of mortuary practices of old civilizations the
0: limited nutritional value of cannibalism the 1970 paper that they base this off of oh this is a good one too pigs proteins and people eaters (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah this is gross i'll pick a better one next week
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right well if uh If you have a calorie density figure that you would like to send in, or photos of the bones that you found in your backyard, Shannon, how can they get a hold of us?
0: I don't want those. I'm not going to give you any information. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can find us on Twitter. Now that we know how to check those other inboxes. Um, John is at geo underscore Lehman. I'm at Shannon Doolin together. We're at don't panic geo. Uh, We're in the Slack chat room on the software underground, the don't panic channel. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, If you want to hear more cannibalism papers, you can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash don't panic geo.
1: And until next week, remember don't panic.
0: It's not an exact science.
1: any opinions, findings, conclusions or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.
0: Unless you're counting the calories of human beings and then it is I say we're,
1: we're eating away at the competition, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>